Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. As we're worshiping here this morning, I feel the Lord had this word for us. That as we are in the presence of God in this place, so too the presence of God wants to be in you. The presence of God is here in a measure of glory. And the presence of God wants to be in you in that glory. The Spirit of God inhabiting the temple that God has placed in you. Some people have become satisfied to come into a place where the glory of God is present. Others have become satisfied with the presence of the Spirit of God in them. But we need to get to a place where the presence of God in us is here, in us, in glory. And the degree of glory that we have depends on us. For our flesh can mask and restrict much of that glory. But as we learn from His Word and learn from prayer and being in His presence, we learn how to have that glory manifest with His presence in us. Then we walk in a place of victory we hadn't walked before. Many try to achieve victory outside of the glory in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And to a degree, we walk in some victory. But there is a greater victory. A greater victory we had in your life. A greater victory to be had for the kingdom through you. When you walk in a greater manifestation of the glory of the presence of God in you. So don't be content. Don't be satisfied. But press on. For there is always more glory to be had. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the presence we experience in these times of worship. Father, I thank you that you desire great things for us. We receive those things. You're not a respecter of persons. You're not saying this person I like better. But Father, you're looking for people in faith, people who will believe, and people who will receive. Grow us up, Father. Show us the things we need to know. For we want to walk in your glory. We want to walk in that presence. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Good to have you here today. We're missing quite a few folks. I see some of those people that are missing. Give them a holler this week and let them know you, you missed them. Thank you, worship team. So appreciative of all the time they bring us into the presence of God. We're going to be over in Luke chapter 17 today. There were two men who were on a journey one day, and the first was always complaining about the second guy. We'll call him George. Always complaining that George could never keep his attention focused on anything for very long. And so he said to him, because he's trying to have him walk in some of the things of God, some of the greater things of God, he said, I'll bet you a, banana, a double banana split that you cannot walk with me for 10 minutes 
and pray. And focus on nothing but praying. And he said, you're on. And so the two of them were walking and they were praying. And after about a minute, he turned to him and he said, can I get two cherries on that? Yeah, sometimes we have a hard time focusing. Now, if you were here for any number of years, you may remember that one because I told you that story quite a few years ago. But we're going to take a look at a particular story here and talk about focus, how important it is that we are focused. How focused on you are you on the things that God has spoken to you? How focused are you on the things that God has said? How much of it is the makeup of your, of your week? How much focus does it get? Do you know what God has spoken to you? If you don't know, how do you hear? How do you discover that? How do you find out what God has spoken to you so that you can focus on it? And if you do know what God has spoken to you, how can you improve your focus? Because what God has spoken to you will help you. Last week we looked at the nobleman's nobleman's son. And we see that Jesus spoke directly to him. And that man took what Jesus said, focused on it, and did what Jesus said. And his son came back from point of death and was alive. That's a fun story. It's a good story. The, the, one of the best things about that story is it took one level of faith to get him to get to Jesus. It took a greater level of faith to get him to leave Jesus. Sometimes we're not always willing to elevate our faith to take us to another level. But we need to do that. Let's read this, this uh, over in Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now here we have another story of people who made the journey to Jesus, who came over to where Jesus was because they needed something. It is not hard for people to make a journey to God because they need something. Most times people come to God it's because they need something. We don't come to him for, for many other. We come to him because we need something. I need peace in my life. I need healing in my life. I need joy in my life. I need security in my life. I need to get rid of these things in my life. And this is why we come to, come to Jesus. Because we need something in our life. Remember when September 11th happened, people came out to churches quite a bit and churches got a lot fuller. Because they needed something. But then after a while, that need kind of subsided and uh, they didn't stick around. We come to God because we need something. It's easy to make the journey to God because you need something. But there's greater things that we have to do. So they made this journey, this, this journey because of a great need that they had. Put this in your outline for you. When there is no other hope, this journey is easiest. When you've got no other hope, no other way to get this done. This is the only way. If God doesn't act, I'm going down. That's the easiest journey to make. God, I'm, I'm here. I need you because you know, I don't have any money. I don't have any. I'm going to die. They're, they give me this report. It's real easy when you have no other hope. That's the easiest journey to make. But other things can keep people from making this journey to Jesus in the begin with, to begin with. And they never come to Jesus at all. They just carry their need. Well, this is just something I'll have to do. Something I'll have to carry myself. They focus their attention in other things. They've taken a spotlight. In their, in their lives. Other things have gotten the attention. And that's what their focus is. 
I'm focused on my job. I'm focused on my career. I'm focused on paying bills. I'm focused on uh, the pain in my body. I'm focused on a relationship. I'm focused on uh, whatever it might be. Family member who's, who's not well. We can focus on a lot of things and they take our focus. We don't always give the, the thing that it, that it needs. Now, I put this in your outline to make sure you get it. For most people, the importance of something is not proportional to the attention it receives. For most people, the importance of something is not proportional to the attention it receives. Now, you can, take, you can certainly see this. How many of you have emails? How, much, how many people focus attention on the email first thing in the morning? First thing in the morning, you open it, fire up that computer and look up all those emails and you got 10 emails, you got 20 emails, you got, I don't know how many emails you get. That you, I don't know about you, but I've, I've structured my email in a certain way. I have one email address that I've had since I think the 90s. So that would be 10, 20, um, almost 30 years I've had one email address, this one particular one. And I still have it, and I still use it, and I still check it on a regular basis. But if I'm, you know how you have to go online, and you have to put the email address in? That's the one I put in. So that when they sell it, and they give it to all these people, all that, that email gets bombarded with all that stuff, and my main email doesn't get bombarded by all those things. And so every once in a while, I go through and I clean it out, and I find, all right, who's this email coming from? I get in there, unsubscribe, 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 and get rid of all those things. But I only mess with that email. Uh, on, on certain occasions, I don't mess on a whole lot, but on certain occasions, and then a lot of times to clean it out. Now, right now, if you were to go in that email, you would find out that the number of emails that are in that inbox are around 8,000. Now, most of those things, I'm not even going to take the time to go through and find them to delete them. They can just sit there all they want to. I really don't care that they're, that they're there, not there, whatever. Every once in a while, I'll go through and I'll do a search for one of the names and I'll find all of them, give me a hundred of those emails, I just delete them all. Don't even read them, just, just delete them. So that's what I do with that. So then my other emails, you know, you're getting usually more, uh, more pertinent stuff, but still sometimes things come in you're not supposed to. But we spend time, we'll, we'll fire up that computer, and emails grab our attention. And after you get done, you know, half hour, 45 minutes, messing with emails. Did we mess with any emails that were important? Did we do anything that was life-changing? that changed the nature of our career, helped us in any way. Generally not, but generally every day we fire up that computer and we check the emails and we answer the ones we want to answer, we delete the ones we want to delete, and we go on. We spend a lot of time on things that are not very important. Now, have anybody ever been through any time management courses? I have a couple of people. I've been through time management. One of them, I went through on the tape series, and I still remember a whole lot of the things that he taught us. I can still hear his voice. It was, I mean, it was a tape series. We're not talking CDs. We're not talking MP3s. We are talking cassette tape. That's how old it was, because that was the only vehicle that they had. And I put those cassette tapes into the player, and I went through them, and I read them, and he had some great, great stories. How many of you remember me telling you the ant story? You don't remember the ant story? Ant story is phenomenal. Ant story is absolutely great for showing you this principle. There is nothing better about this. There's a story, this, this uh, German professor, he was touring around, and this, this, this little old lady, oh, she, she didn't have much of a, of a job. Her job was peeling potatoes at a, at, a res, at a restaurant or some kind of place, peeled potatoes. 
Every day she'd show up for work and she would peel potatoes. Peel potatoes, peel potatoes. Anybody remember this now? All right, a couple. Only two people? Man, three people. All right, got three people remember this story. Well, I'll tell it to you again and you can always hear it again. I love going over this story because it just tells me about things that I should do and things that are important. She sat there and she peeled potatoes and she scrimped and she saved and she got enough money to buy a train ticket to get to the place where this professor was and so that she could hear him. She thought her life would change if she could just get to where she could hear this man speak. So she, the day was coming close. She had the ticket in her hand and she made the trip, went on out there, listened to this professor, listened to this person, give the lecture. I don't even know what the lecture was about. That wasn't part of the story. Don't come up and ask me that because I don't know what it was. He didn't tell me. Listened to the lecture and afterwards she just wanted to just go up there and be able to talk to him, just tell him how much of an influence he had been on her life, how much she enjoyed the meeting. So she, she sat in her chair for a while, let all the people get up there and, and talk with him and do things and she just waited for it to quiet down. And when it did, she was able to get up there and get a little bit of his time. And she just approached him and says, it was so wonderful to hear you speak. I've enjoyed things that you've written. I've enjoyed uh, reading some of those things. And just was so looking forward to getting here and hearing you speak. It must be wonderful to have had the opportunities in life that you have. How am I doing on the story so far? Am I telling it the same way you remember it? All right. And he looked at her, and I will not try and do this. The person on the tape did this, and he would do a much better job than I would, but this professor had a German accent, and so he did it with a German accent. I may have a German last name, but I have no German accent. And I'm not going to try and, uh, and do that. But he said it in a German accent, if you can hear that. And he says, and what opportunities do you have? Oh, I don't have any opportunities, he said. All I do is sit and peel potatoes. Every day I show up and I peel potatoes. That's all I do all day long. And he says, when you sit and you peel the potatoes, what do you rest your feet on? And so she said, well, I just do it out by the stoop out in the the back. And uh, the the step that I rest my foot on is is, uh, I I, I put my feet on on the step. And he goes, what is the step made of? And she said, well, it's brick. He said, I want you to do this for me. He said, I want you to go and study about brick. And I want you to write me a letter and tell me everything you find out about bricks. And he said, all right, I'll go ahead and do that. So she went on back and she told her friends all that happened, told about the interaction that she had with this guy. And this is wonderful. This is great. And she said, well, you're going you're gonna to do this? Yeah, 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 I'll, I'll do that. And, uh, you know, a week went by and didn't do it. Two weeks went by, still didn't do it. And her friends would ask her, you know, are you going to do that? Yeah, 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 I'm going to do that. Finally, she got herself around. So after work, she mustered up enough energy, went on down to the library, looked at some books and found out all the things she could about brick, found out all the different kinds of bricks that are, there are, found out how bricks are made, all these things, found out so much information about bricks. And so she wrote it all up and she put it into an envelope, but it was a big envelope. It was a thick envelope. It was quite a long uh, letter that she wrote, but she put it in there and forgot about it. Months went by and she got a letter back from the professor. In the letter, she, he said, I took this, this out and I, uh, we had it edited and uh, we published it in this magazine. And here's the magazine and, and here is the royalty check for the article. Well, she was stunned. She didn't think she was going to make any money on that. And at the end of the, the letter, he put this. He said, P.S., 
what is under the Zavik. She could not wait to get to work the next day. When she got to work the next day, she took up those bricks and she looked under the bricks and what she saw was a colony of ants. And she was so excited that she had found these ants, so she put the step back together and she went down to the library that night and she got all the things out about ants. And she said she studied about all kinds of ants. There are all kinds of ants. are not just little. There are little tiny ones and there are big ones. There are ones that would fit in your entire hand, but you wouldn't want them there because it would eat you. Little ants, big ants, all the, she studied all the things about the ants. She studied all the things about the species of ants. She became an expert on ants. And she wrote one of the foremost books on ants that got published. And she began to travel and to lecture at different places about ants. And no longer was peeling potatoes on the stool, the, 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 the stoop. No longer was... See, she was not, as he put it to us, she was not lacking opportunity. She didn't manage her time. That's how he started the whole series off. Gets you interested in managing your time. When she learned to manage her time better, things were going. You see, we're not managing things right. We're, we're not putting the time on the important things. God has spoken to us and told us some things that are important. And if you pull most Christians, you will find out that their attention is not spent on the things that are important. But they want the changes that the Word of God talks about. They want the blessings they want that the Word of God talks about. They want the power that the Word of God talks about. But they don't want to put their attention on the things that we're supposed to. Remember what the exact exhortation was in Proverbs? My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your heart. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life unto those who find them and health unto all their flesh. Hmm. But you see, even though we know that verse, we've heard that verse before, we're still not putting our attention on the right thing. And the things that are urgent during the day get our attention, not the things that help us. Jesus is going to give these guys a command. And they focus on the last couple of weeks. We've looked at a number of stories in the word of God where Jesus gave a command and the people he gave it to focused on that command and did that command. And when they did what happened in their life, they saw great change. But if they would not have focused on that command, if they would have done other things, they would have been distracted. What would have happened? Hmm. I wasn't planning on telling you the ant story. That is one of my favorite stories. Verse 14. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. Now look at this. He saw them. Most times Jesus sees people who want to be healed. He sees blind Bartimaeus. What's he say to blind Bartimaeus? What do you want me to do for you? 
Uh, I don't know. Have a lunch. Most of the time he's asking them, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do? He's asking them these questions. He doesn't ask that question here. He sees them from afar off. And he says to them, go show yourselves to the priest. How many words is that? Six. How many words was the command from last week? Six. Six words last week. Six words this week. He's not, he's not trying to hit six. I don't try and tell you anything like that. It's just, it's short. It's not long. How easy is it to focus on six words? Go show yourself to the priest. That's it. So what are they supposed to do? Go and show themselves to the priest. I don't know if they came to Jesus. How many of you, if you are a leper and you're coming to Jesus, you're expecting Jesus to speak to that leprosy? You're expecting Jesus to do something on you to make that leprosy go away. And what's he say? Go show yourself to the priest. What's he say to the nobleman? Go your way. Your son lives. All they had to do was focus on what he said and do it. It's not hard what he asked them to do. But their emotions got involved and certainly that can get there. But what he asked them to do here, folks, is not actually legal. Because the Word of God tells us in the Old Testament that as far as leprosy was concerned, it gave, us all, it gave them all the rules and things they were supposed to do. And they were not supposed to show themselves to the priest unless there was a change. If, and it lists it out, if this particular thing changes, go show yourself to the priest. So unless there's a change, you're not supposed to go to the priest. But Jesus is saying, go to the priest. Is he going against the Word? No, if they listen to it, there'll be a change. Now, put this in your outline for you. This journey is made out of desire. It's made out of desire. I want something. It's really easy to make a, a, a trip out of desire, right? If you want something, you, can, you say this is where you can go and get it. How many of you, you want a new car? Where do you go? New car dealership. Do you have a desire to get to the new car dealership? How many if you're hungry? If you're hungry and you need food, <laughs> where do you go? Go to the restaurant. You go to the grocery store. You go to a place where there's food. Go and get some food. You got a desire for it. If you have a desire for it, you go and get some food. Right? You have a desire. You can't, you can't just be hungry. How many have ever been hungry but don't have a desire to go eat? You ever had that? Oh, I'll tell you what happens to me a lot get a desire. You know, I went out for a run last night, got all the work done, worked in the shop for a while, went out for a run. And, and Saturday is usually the longer of the runs in the week. So I went out for a run and did a run, came on back. And, you know, there's a desire or, or there's a, a, a I know I, I should eat something. I had no desire. It's getting kind of late. It was, I think by the time I got done everything, it was about eight o'clock. And I thought, you know what? I don't have a desire to make something or to go get something. So I just went to bed didn't have a desire. But you see, if you, have that, if you have the need and the desire, how hard is it to go out to the grocery store? How hard is it to go out in the restaurant and go get something? It's not hard, is it? Because you've got that desire. So they had a need, but now they have to make this journey out of desire. And so they get going, and they head on out. 
Now I put this in your outline for you. Anyone will make this, make a trip. If they are sure they'll get something, it's a lack of certainty that keeps everyone from making it. If I'm sure I'm going to receive something at the end of the trip, I'll go. These ten had faith that something would change as Jesus told them to do what, as what Jesus told them to do wasn't lawful. But they had faith that something would change on the way. And so they went expecting a change. They may even be looking at their bodies as they're going. Checking things out, seeing what's going on. Maybe they're going on down, they're talking to each other, and one looks at, hey, that's better. Because they've seen each other for a long time. They know each other's marks. They know each other, uh, how far this disease has gotten on them. But he didn't stop there. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. Now note, as they went, as they did what God said to do. God spoke something to them. Jesus spoke something to them as they did what Jesus said to them. It happened. Now, they could have been distracted. How many of you ever made a trip somewhere and got distracted? You were going somewhere. Something happened and you never, you never made it, made it there late. They could have been distracted, but they, they weren't. They, they kept on going. And one of them, verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So he saw that he was healed. What did Jesus say to him again? Go show yourselves to the priest. So he's going and all the way he sees he's healed. One of them, it says, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Is this what Jesus said to do? What did Jesus say to do? Go show yourself to the priest. He didn't say go and then come back and then go again. He said, go show yourself to the priest. So this guy broke the pattern, but he received what he, what he needed, which was the healing. Now, until they are proclaimed by the priests to be clean, they're still considered unclean in society. They can't have a job. They can't uh, uh, be in the city. A lot of different things that they can't do. They'd like to get that lifted off of them. So as soon as you get to the priest, that can be lifted off. He didn't go back to the priest. He, the nine went on their way. He came back, fell down on his face as fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Hmm. It would seem like the other parts of the group were not Samaritans. They were probably Jewish. Maybe some of them, maybe some of the nine were Samaritans, but some of them were Jews. And Jesus is talking in a way. Do you, do you not get from how Jesus is talking here that he expected them to come back? But he didn't say that, did he? He said, go, show yourself to the priest. But when one comes back, he's kind of stunned that only one of them came back. But then Jesus said, go. Show yourself to the priest. We don't know if the nine came back to Jesus afterwards. 
But this one came back right away and spent time because he saw this as being important. All right, getting over to the priest, that's important. But thanking the person who did this, that's more important. Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you, made you well. Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, he didn't tell him to go to the priest, did he? He did already tell him that. But he just said, Arise, go your way. So wherever you want to go, you go. Now, the others are still focused on need. I need to get to the priest. They're still focused. Their journey is still on the thing that is needed. This is not needed. It was not stated. There's nothing in here about being needed, but he perceived that this is important and demanded his time. How did Jesus take to that? He, he liked that, didn't he? You came back and you said thanks and you worshiped. Now, this journey is made out of gratitude, something that is sorely lacking in people anymore. Basically, no, now I don't need anything. I've come to give. I don't need anything. I've come to give. I'm here to give praise. I'm here to give worship. And here's the thing. Jesus seemed expectant of it. He seemed to expect that this would happen. How many of you have ever helped somebody out, done something for somebody? And uh, you didn't require it, but kind of expected that they would be a little grateful, have some gratitude. And you didn't see it. Kind of affected you, didn't it? We kind of like to, to see a little bit. Of, you, don't, you can't say it. Say, after I do this for you, I want you to do. We don't say it. But don't we have a kind of an expectation that... And how many have ever come up to you? That you did something for them. They came up, oh, thank you so much. Oh, don't even mention it. You ever said that? <laughs> don't even mention it. Not a problem. But aren't you glad they mentioned it? Yeah, we don't really mean the things that we say, do we? Don't even mention it. But if they didn't mention it, how come they never came back and mentioned that? <laughs> we we kind of do that sort of stuff. But Jesus expected it. Now, the other nine, we don't know anything from the Word of God that they lost what they had because they didn't come back. But this guy gained a little bit more. So here's the thing, folks. What has God spoken to you? This is what we want to spend our time on. What has God spoken to you? Now, you may say, well, God hasn't spoken anything to me. He has not said, go show yourself to the priest. He has not said, rise, take up your bed and walk. He hasn't spoken anything in particular to me. But yes, he has. God has spoken things to you. I pulled out two things that God has spoken to all of us. And you see how well you have done with your focus on this. Philippians 4 and verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How many of y'all know this verse? I mean, it's on your, some of your refrigerators. It's on some of your computer screens. We love this verse. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, especially the verse that comes after this. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We especially like that part. But tend, we tend to have our focus on the second part and no focus on the first part. He said this. To, let's read it again. Be anxious for nothing. How many of you say that you have lived up to those four words? Now, remember, Jesus gave how many words out to the, to the, uh, not to the ten? Six. They focused on it and got it done. How many words did he speak to the nobleman's son? 
Six, he focused on and got it done. How many words did he speak to the guy who was at the pool? Let's count them. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Seven. Seven. Did he do it? He did. So we have one person who focused on seven words, one person or you know, focuses on six words, and ten guys who focus on six words. All of them were successful. Four words. Be anxious for nothing. How have you done with that? How many of you have read it this way? You have a translation that's different from the New King James. It's the one that you carry around in your head. And it says, be anxious for little. How about it this way? Don't be anxious for much. Try with everything in you not to be anxious. Is that how we're, we're living it? Or are we doing this? Be anxious for... If the Word of God tells us to be anxious for nothing, is it possible? It is. Is worry a form of anxiety? Is fear a form of anxiety? Or anxiety is a form of fear? So they're all kind of jumbled together. Anxiety, fear, worry. How many times does the Word of God say, do not fear? Three words. Do not be afraid. Four words. How many times does it say that? And what happens when we get a bad report? Fear. I'm afraid. What happens when we see the economy taking a tank? Fear. Become afraid. We begin to be anxious. We begin to become worrisome. These things come in. But the Word of God says, be anxious for nothing. Now, you can do the same thing that I did. I went up on the Internet and I did a search. And I just looked for physical signs for anxiety. That's it. I found a medical uh, place that had a list of symptoms. Anybody want to hear it? It's too bad if you don't because you're going to hear it anyway. Signs and symptoms of anxiety would be this. Excessive ongoing worry and tension. Now, don't raise your hand if I'm describing you. Just, you know, pretend like it's for the person next to you. That's you. An unrealistic view of problems. Restlessness or feeling of being edgy. Irritability. Muscle tension. Anybody have muscle? I'm not inside here. Anybody have muscle tension? Muscle aches. Now, I'm, this is not the only cause for some of these things. I'm just, but this is, if you have these things going on, anxiety could be at the, at the root. Headaches. I did not write this list. I'm told you, I can give you the website it came from, medical site. Sweating. Difficulty concentrating. Nausea. I'm about halfway through. The need to go to the bathroom frequently. Tiredness. Fidgeting. Trouble falling or staying asleep. Oh, do we just have some people fall off the wagon there? Trembling. Being easily startled. Numbness in hands and feet. 
difficulty swallowing. Bouts of difficulty breathing. Twitching. Hot flashes. And the last one they put on here was rashes. Now, how many of the, any of those symptoms sound pleasant? Any of them sound like something that you would want to have in your body? No, these are not things that we want to have. These are not things that we want to be going on. We, we want to keep these things gone. But you see, if you don't do what the Word of God says here, right, right there, be anxious for nothing. You open the door to all these things coming in. Be anxious for nothing. You can get anxious for all kinds of things. You can get anxious for your job. You can get anxious from relationships that are going on with uh, people at work, people in the neighborhood, relatives. You can get anxious and fearful because you heard something that was going on in, in the world. You can feel something in your body and become anxious about it. Not sure what it is. Anxiety can come in. And when it does, you are not equipped to handle it. God made your body and he knows you are not equipped to handle worry and anxiety. You're not equipped. If you carry it, you will wear your body down. Now, how many guys here have a toolbox? All right, just about all the guys here. I'd ask for the ladies, and I know that there are some ladies that have their own toolbox, and I don't mean to be sexist in this, but this is generally something, guys, we generally have the toolbox. If you are a woman here and you have the toolbox, that's fine. That's fine. You can have the toolbox, but for the most part, it's the guys who have the toolbox, and this is where the stresses come in because the guy has a toolbox, and in the, tool, in the toolbox are tools that have a purpose. Right? A screwdriver has a purpose. A hammer has a purpose. But how many of you know that people who don't know those tools grab them out of the toolbox and begin to use them for what their purpose, what they were not intended for? And when you use things for what they're not intended for, they tend to be not as effective and can get ruined. And it's not good. It's not good. Now, I remember this growing up. My dad had a, a chisel set. I have chisels too. They're not nearly as good as the ones my dad had. My dad had some really good chisels. Paid some money for them. Had tips on them to protect them. Anybody know what a chisel is? All right. Chisel is not a screwdriver. It looks like a screwdriver. It has similarities to a screwdriver, but it is not a screwdriver. It has the same handle as a screwdriver does. Very similar handle. It has the long stem and it has the pointed end, but it is not a screwdriver. And if you use it for the purpose of a screwdriver or anything that a screwdriver was not even intended to be used for, it will ruin the chisel. The chisel is such that if you use it for anything else but what it is intended for, that chisel is ruined. That's how sensitive it is. 
a chisel, generally, now they make, I think they make metal ones. I don't deal with metal ones. I deal with wood ones. If you use a wood chisel on anything else but wood, that chisel is ruined. I mean, it may still have some function and still do some things, but it's ruined for what it's supposed to do. It can only be used on wood. If you use it as a screwdriver, ruined. If you use it in the ground, ruined. If you use it on plastic, it is ruined. It will not function the way the chisel was intended to do. And so he would have these things down there and he would tell us, do not use these chisels for anything but what they're intended to do. Now, chisels are very sharp. Anybody ever anybody not seen a chisel? Anybody not know what a chisel is? Seen a, a, really, good, a really good chisel can cut you in a second. Just like that, just cut you. Now, I have a chisel in my shop that has a purpose. It's not a good chisel. It is a, 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 a fairly inexpensive wood chisel because what it does, I don't need a whole lot of precision with it, but when I need it, I need the chisel. And so I always kept the chisel in a spot next to the hammer because when I needed it, I needed to be able to bang a, a, a piece of wood off and take that piece of wood off. But, you know, my granddaughter got older and she was coming out into the shop and she went and she grabbed the chisel. The chisel is not there anymore. I saw her grab the chisel. said, nope, we're not going to. That's not uh, one to play with. I picked that chisel. That chisel is in a place she cannot get to it now. I cannot get to it as easily as I could before, but neither can she. She can't get to it at all. So we can't, we can't have that. So, you know, you got to make sure, you know, all those things are out of the way because if she comes in, we don't want her grabbing one of those kind of things. Plus, if you drop the chisel, guess what? Chisel's ruined. Can't drop the chisel. Got uh, to keep that sucker sharp. You were not meant to carry anxiety. If you make your body and your mind w- uh, carry anxiety, it will wear out parts that need to do something else. And now those things can't do what they're supposed to do, so muscles become tense. Muscles begin to ache. Headaches begin to form. Tension begins to come in. And we go to all these things. We take all these drugs to try and get rid of the headaches, to try and get rid of the tension, to try and get rid of the... Um, what other things were I mentioned in there? We try and take medication to get rid of these things instead of getting rid of the anxiety. We'll still read this verse, but there's our focus on it. Our focus isn't on be anxious for nothing. That's not my focus. When I go out in the day, as soon as something happens and I can become anxious or worrisome about it, what do I do? Pick it up. Now, the more you focus on these four words, be anxious for nothing. As soon as anxiety begins to make its presence in your life, you can pick it up faster than anything. But when you carry anxiety around all the time, you can't even tell that more has been added. And more has been added. And some of our, our conditions are there because we're anxious for stuff, for stuff. And we can even ask Christians, are you anxious? No, I'm, I'm not anxious. Did you sleep last night? No, I didn't sleep last night. How come? <laughs> now, there can be other causes. 
for it. I'm not saying that if you don't sleep at night and if you have muscle uh, tension, whatever it might be, I'm not saying that there aren't other causes. There are other causes for it. This is just one of them. So I'm getting the condemnation that you know, Pastor Steve said, I'm missing it, I'm, I'm anxious. That's not the, not the thing that goes on. Sometimes you can have muscle aches because you worked your body pretty hard. Have you ever worked your body pretty hard? Remember the snow season, shoveling snow. You come in, you have muscle aches. I pro- your problem was not a thing on your mind when you're doing that, that snow, except let's get this snow out of the driveway. That's all you're thinking about. And you came in, you were sore. Well, that was not caused by anxiety. Any such thing like that. That's caused because you were working hard. And that's okay. Good to work hard. But let's look at that verse again. Be anxious for nothing. Focus on those words. Get those words down. As soon as, anxiety, it, as soon as anxiety begins to take over in your life, you need to combat it. Focus. Be anxious for nothing. Has God stated this for you? Has God spoken this to you? It's in the Word. It's in the Word. It's there for you to be focused on. Be anxious. That's, he has said that. You can just put that, my name right there. Steve, be anxious for nothing. Because he, he's saying that to me. That is a word that God has spoken to me. Be anxious for nothing. Does that mean that there is anything in life that I should be anxious for? So if I am anxious for anything, I've missed that verse, right? Be anxious for for nothing. Alright, that's the first four words to focus on. Be anxious for nothing. Look at the next part. But in everything, alright, so the first part, in nothing, be anxious. But in everything, everything is the opposite of nothing. If you have nothing over here, there's nothing over here. If you have everything over here, this is good. Think of it in terms of a restaurant. If you're going to go out to the buffet, do you want to go out to the buffet that has everything? Or do you want to go to the buffet that has nothing? Which one would you want to go to? The one that has everything. The one that has nothing. We don't go to that one. We go to the one that has everything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, not complaining. Not complaining. Many times our prayer times are caught up with complaining. But he says, everything by prayer and supplication. So if something comes in your life, instead of worrying about it, you say, Father God, this is what's going on. I thank you for handling it. And you pray according to the word of God with it. And then you get thanks. Thank you, Father, that your answer has come. I thank you, Father, that that's what's going on. That you're doing what you said in your word. And then you go on. You're not anxious. Let your request be made to God. Go on to the next verse, verse 7. And the peace of God will surpass all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We want that guard on there. We've got to do what it says to do. Be anxious for nothing. So think of it in, in your own life. How are you doing on number one? Be anxious for nothing. Are there things that get you anxious? Are there things that get you concerned? Some of you might be immune to having, been, having anxiety about work. Some of you might be immune about having anxiety about money, but maybe you have anxiety about family members. Or maybe family members you don't care anything about. You know, they can all die if they want to. But money gets you. What is it that brings anxiety on? You've got to focus on that. 
Be anxious for nothing. Now, that's just one verse. This next part, we're going to give you a bunch of verses for. And you can either uh, you know, look them up. I wrote them down for you. They're all there. But here's number two. These are not only two things to do. They're not just giving you two things you can focus on. Two things that God has said. And if you will focus on these two things, you will change your life. I will tell you this way. You cannot live the same way you have been living if you put focus on these two things. Just two. The one, be anxious for nothing. If you can put focus on that and keep anxiety out of your life, you will change your life. A lot of conditions that you have are maintained because of your anxiety and your worry and your fear. And though they have been cast out of the house, when they come back and they see it clean, or I'm sorry, empty, swept, and put in order, they go out and they get seven worse things. More anxious than themselves. And bring them over to you. And you pick them up and your last state is worse than the first. So here's number two. Be glad and rejoice. And I put in parentheses, always. Always be glad and rejoice. Now, I'll ask you this. Do you find yourself complaining? Have you ever found yourself complaining? Nobody here. Never complained. Nope. Have you ever found yourself yelling at things? Or people? If you are yelling at things, computers are, are, are good. You know, how many people yell at your computer? Computers are just, you know, they just sit there. They don't get their feelings hurt. Yell at them real, real good. You cannot complain without setting aside your gratitude, joy, and gladness. Try it. I want you to try this. The next time you're complaining about something or yelling at a thing or yelling at a person, I want you to check on yourself. Am I grateful right now? Is there gratitude welling up on the inside of me? Is there joy? Is there gladness? Because you cannot have gratitude, joy, and gladness in the same being at the same time that you are complaining and yelling at things. They, they, don't, they don't work together. They just, they just don't go. How many of you have relatives that you know you cannot have in the same room? Anybody have that? You have relatives? I, you, cannot, you cannot have Uncle Bill over here with Aunt Susie. They cannot be in the same room, right? You know that because if they are in the same room, everyone is going to come out of there unhappy. That's just how it is. So you know we've got to keep these two in different places. We cannot have them in the same place together. You all have relatives like that? All right, think of it this way. You cannot have complaining in the same place where there is joy, gladness, and gratitude. It won't be there. Now look at some of these. Some of these uh, verses in Psalms. Psalms 9, verses 1. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. Can you maintain what that verse is speaking about while you are complaining? While you are yelling at things or people? 
I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works, and I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praises in your name, O Most High. Psalm 31, verse 7, I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you have considered my trouble. You have known my soul in adversities. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy. Psalm 32, verse 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at what? I mean, come on, we sing that song. I will bless the Lord at all times. Are you blessing the Lord when you're complaining? Are you blessing the Lord when you are yelling at your computer or things or the TV set? Or how about this, the remote control? Yelling at the Blu-ray player. Yelling at things. Why aren't you working? Why are you taking so long? I don't know who made Blu-ray players. But you know, after you get used to watching Blu-ray players, you just can't go back to CD. Anybody going back after watching a Blu-ray player, anybody going all the way back to a VCR? Have you done that? We did because we had some movies and you know, the little girl wanted to, to see the, the whatever it was on the VCR. So we put the VCR in and we put that and I looked at that and I said, oh. You ought to do that sometime. Put the VCR in. You'll really appreciate your Blu-ray player. Put the VCR in just watch it. Oh. I used to watch this. This is awful. This is terrible. CDs are so much better. But if you put the CD player in, then you put the Blu-ray player in. I mean, come on. Nemo, watch Finding Nemo on the CD player and the Blu-ray player. There's a big difference. I can count the scales on Nemo in the Blu-ray player. But if I turn the Blu-ray, this is my Blu-ray player. If I turn the Blu-ray player on and I have a nice little remote, cheapo one, but it, it works good, that you push one thing, say, watch Blu-ray, and it turns the Blu-ray player on, it turns the TV on, and it turns the, uh, the sound system on, so the sound's coming through the speakers. It switches things over to the, the, uh, the, the sound, uh, the change in the sound, and it puts the TV into HDMI 2 because the Blu-ray comes over HDMI 2. It does all that by me pushing the button. Isn't that great? Yeah, here's the problem. When somebody leaves a Blu-ray disc in the Blu-ray player, for some reason, the remote control, after it does all, sends out all these signals to all the different, the TV, the Blu-ray player, the uh, Ankyo receiver, does all these, sends all these things out and makes all these things do what you're supposed to do. It then sits there for at least 30 seconds. And I can't do a thing with it. I can't hit eject to get the thing that's in the Blu-ray player out of the Blu-ray player. So you know what happens after 30 seconds of the Blu-ray player sitting there waiting to say, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to go into the Wi-Fi and you want me to pull down some uh, movies from whatever the things are, you has all those services that are in there, or do you want to play with some of the It's waiting, it's waiting, it's waiting. Finally says, all right, I'll make a decision on my own. And it decides to play what is in the machine. And a long some time after it finally decides to start playing, now the remote control comes to life. I don't know why it does this. I could buy a more expensive one, I'm sure, that would probably not do this, but 
And then finally the eject button comes up and I can hit the eject button and get that thing out. Now, I could become anxious about this, but I read the verse of Scripture that says, Be anxious for nothing, including Blu-ray players. And so I have solved this problem by turning on the Blu-ray player five minutes before I want to use it. And I go away. And then I come back and I hit eject and I take that thing out and I put on the thing that I want to, I want to put on and then we're, we're, we're good to go. Because a couple of the workout things that I, I do are on the, on the Blu-ray player. I have to put that in there for, the, for that, that kind of thing. So we, we put that in. No more anxiety. But there's, the, there's, there's Blu-ray. There's, oh, you don't want to go backwards, do you? We don't want to go backwards. Why did we, we get into all that? I forgot now. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Oh, verse 34. I'm sorry. Verse 1 of chapter 34. I will bless the Lord at what? All times. All times. All times. Bless the Lord at all times. That means when you wake up in the morning. How many of you, the first words out of your mouth are, I will bless the Lord or something along those lines. How many of you, the first words out of your mouth are, is it morning already? Do I have to get up now? Where is that alarm clock? Be quiet. Those are not bless the Lord words, are they? And so we sometimes start off the day without blessing the Lord. And then we come down in the coffee machine. For all you folks who are like, I do not drink coffee. I'm just speaking like from what I've heard people who like coffee. They come on down. They need to have their coffee. I need coffee. And so they come on down. The coffee machine is busted. How many are still blessing the Lord? Now we are yelling at the coffee machine. Blessing the Lord out the window. I will bless the Lord when? Do you think he had in mind when coffee machines go down? So the coffee machine goes down. I will head to the Wawa. Glory to God, I am not losing my joy. I head to the Wawa. I get down there. The Wawa has a huge line. And the only coffee they are out of is the one I like. Bless the Lord at all times. Right? How many of us don't bless the Lord at that time? And so you leave there, decide I'm not going to get any coffee, but your car needs some gas. So you go over to the gas station and you put the, the thing into the gas, the, the little nozzle there, put it in there and you turn it on and you hold that little, flip that little switch. Now, some of you folks, you know, you got these cars that hold what, seven gallons of gasoline? This is no big deal. You go in there, you're done in five minutes. I do not have a car that holds seven gallons worth of gasoline. I have one that holds over 30. And if it's empty, it takes a long time to fill that up. So you know what you do? You put that thing in there and you got that little little holder. And you put that holder in there and you go. And then if it's raining, what do you do? You go and you sit in the truck and wait for it to get done. But it seems that most times that I do that and I put the nozzle in there and I throw that little switch in there. And I go and sit in the truck. You know what I hear? Click. It's not full yet. And you get out there and you flip it again. And you know what happens? Click. 
I don't know what it is about these gas stations anymore, but it seems like more of them don't sit there and hold the thing right or it just doesn't like the way that the gas is going in, whatever it might be. So I had to sit there and hold it for 30 gallons of gasoline. And in the wintertime, it's cold. And I'm usually out without a coat on. And I'm usually out without gloves. And it's metal. What's the word? What's the, what's it say again? I will bless the Lord at all times. How many of you feel like blessing the Lord at that time? We do not. But what's it say? I will bless the Lord at all times. What happens if I decide not to bless the Lord at that time? It changes the course of my day. It changes the course of my life. Then I go down a wrong direction. I will bless the Lord. At all. Now, see, I will. That's a decision, isn't it? I decided to bless the Lord at all times, even when the gas is not working right. Now, how many of you, after you got done messing with the gas station, are now on your way to work? And how many of you, on your way to work, you have one of those complicated intersections? One of those intersections is just not straightforward. One of the ones that I have in my neck of the woods, you all may be familiar with, five points, 309, 202, the old 202, and 463. It comes together, and always I am in the, three, the, the old 202 side, and there are two left-hand turning lanes. I sometimes just want to rent TV time or radio time to educate everybody on the fact that there are two left-hand turning lanes mm-hmm. on 202 at five points because it always seems like that though there are two, and I may be on the left turning lane, the one who's in the center turning lane takes their turn and they go into my lane. How many know what intersection I'm talking about? How many have ever been there where the person on that side decides to come into your lane so you no longer have a place to go? Now, I know to anticipate stupidity of this nature. And so I anticipate this person is probably going to be stupid. If I am on that lane, most of the time I try and take the inside track because I can make sure that they're not taking my lane over here. <laughs> it's usually the other one that, it, that is. And so, sure enough, somebody's going to come over and they cut you off. What's that word say? I will bless the Lord at all times. Now, how many of you can think back to when somebody did something stupid on the road and what, were you, what came out of your mouth? Glory, hallelujah. Bless the Lord. That's not what's coming out of your mouth, is it? But what's the word we've got to say? I will bless the Lord at all time. All time. How about when the kids grab the permanent markers and use them as if they were temporary markers? How many? I will bless the Lord <laughs> at all times. Hey, but if they took those markers and they drew on not junk paper, but important paper. I will bless the Lord at all time. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Is there, Can you be any clearer than that? So let's just break this down. I will bless the Lord. At all times. How many words is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's eight whole words you have to focus on. I will bless the Lord at all times. 
Now, the second part is just a continuation of that first part. You get that first part down. I will bless the Lord at all times. You got it. We're not done there. Let's go read another verse. Psalm 68, verse 1. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him as smoke is as driven away. So drive them away as wax melts before the fire. So let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him, extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. Psalm 70, verse 4. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you, and let those who love your salvation be continually. Let God be magnified. Or say continually, let God be magnified. Say continually. So when you hit that spot and that person does the stupid thing, what should, you, what should come out of your mouth? Let God be magnified. 104, 33. I will sing the Lord as long as I live. How many of you are still living? That's talking about you. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My, may my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. A decision again. I will be glad in the Lord. One more. Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, we just gave you the ones from Psalms. But how many can see a theme here? Be glad in the Lord. One of the things that the Word of God exhorts us to do, and even that previous one in Philippians uh, did the same thing. Let your request be made known to God with thanksgiving. So here's the two things to focus on. Don't be anxious or be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Here's the second one. Be glad and rejoice. And I put in parentheses, always. Always be glad and rejoice. If you want to see a change from a condition that's been going on in your life for a long period of time, months, years, decades, you've got to start doing something different. You've got to start creating an atmosphere in which that thing is no longer comfortable. Because the reason that it's there is because it's still comfortable. It's comfortable making its abode with you. Things you don't want. Headaches, muscle aches, tension, all the, the whole list that we had there. So two, two things to focus on. This week, I want you to focus on two things. I want you to write these down. I want you to put them on your refrigerator, put them on your mirror, put them on your car, whatever it is, get them so they are in front of you so you are constantly thinking of these two things. Be anxious for nothing. And the second one, always be glad and rejoice. If you can focus on those two things, because those are things that God has spoken to us. If you can focus on those two things, you can have the same results that the ten lepers had, that the man at the pool of Bethesda had, that the man with the sick son had. You can change your situation because God has spoken something to you. And if you do what he has spoken, it will change your life. Two things, only two. There's a whole lot more things you can pull out from the word of God. We're just focusing on these two. Be anxious for nothing. When worry comes in, when anxiety comes in, be, be anxious for nothing. But, and then it goes on, it tells you what? 
What to do instead? Doesn't it just say, don't be anxious? It says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you don't have that verse memorized, you should. Get it down. Because it's telling you what to do. Be anxious for nothing. Now instead do this. And then here's the second one. Always be glad and rejoice. If you can do those two things, some of the conditions, if not all, but at least some of the conditions that are existing in your life will fall away and not be able to exist. They can't survive. How many of you do not have plants in your home because they don't live? All right. Think of this as a plant. There are things in your body that are like plants. For some reason, they are surviving in you. Plants don't. Why? Because you don't give the plant what it needs. The plant doesn't need a whole lot. But how many will confess, I'm not giving the plant what it needs? If it did, it wouldn't be dead. Too much water, not enough water, not enough light, too much light, not enough attention, whatever it is. There's not a whole lot of things plant needs. Plant needs light, needs water. That's really it. It needs light, it needs water. It won't die if you give it light and water in the amount that it likes to have. But it's dying for you. Why? Because I cannot create the conditions that cause that plant to prosper. And the reason that some of the things that are going on in our body are there is because we have created conditions that have caused them to prosper. Well, I can't say I'm not anxious for anything. There's some things. We have created a condition. I can't say I give praise to God all the time. We have created a condition. And you have the ability to change it. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, I thank you that you have given us the ability to change conditions in our life. The enemy has fed us things to create conditions where what he wants in our life is flourishing. But Father, you have told us in your word what we need to do to get those conditions to no longer be operational. And two of those things are be anxious for nothing and be glad in the Lord always. So, Father, we're going to focus on these two things this week. And we're going to change some conditions in our life. Things that have been comfortable in our life because of what we've been doing are going to become decidedly uncomfortable. This will be a battle, but it's a battle we can win. With every head bowed, if you're here today, And you say, I can see that I have been deficient in at least one of those conditions. At least one of those conditions. Maybe not both, but maybe maybe both. But if you can say, I've been deficient in at least one of those conditions, and I will focus on changing that this week, raise your hand. Father God, you see the people that their hands are raised, and they have committed to focus on this. So I pray right now for them that you will bring these two things to mind on a regular basis. That anxiety will no longer be a part of their life. But rejoicing and gladness will.
We're kicking one out. We're pulling one in. And we will see a change. It is not possible to do these two things to the degree that you said in your word without seeing a remarkable change in our life. I thank you, Father, for the help you give us to focus on what it is that you have said and to do them. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. Don't forget, like to hear what it is that's going on that God has done. Got one praise report, one prayer request, unless anybody else has written something down and handed it in. Roshan, I am so thankful that we had a nice visit from my dad last weekend, despite the uh, hiccups of him missing his first plane. Also, he was ill the entire weekend. However, he did not let on to Alicia because he actually came out at her invitation for Grandparents Day. Now he was, uh, how he was feeling. It's always a blessing when I get a visit from my family because I don't see them often. Glory to God for that. Candy and Bobby are not here. Uh, said Bobby was having some of the side effects from some of the treatments he's going through and, a, and low blood sugar. So let's uh, continue to pray for them. We're praying for, he's, he's asking for these treatments to be specific, to go exactly where it's intended, and that his body will respond in a positive way. And Father, we just thank you for the faith that they have and believe in you and for the change that will come in their body. Father, I thank you for it. I thank you that Bobby, his health is in you. Father, you have provided for him health. Continue to feed his faith with the things that he knows and the things that you teach him. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, glory to God. All right, this week, folks, Wednesday night, we are not having service here on Wednesday. We are having service on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Special guest speaker coming in Friday night, Saturday, 10 and 1. We're going to have a meal before continental breakfast and then the meal at noon. We do need to know if you're planning on coming. We just want to make sure we have enough food bought for everybody. So um, tell me at the, on the way out if you haven't already. Or um, uh, if you see my wife around here, you can also tell her. So that's going to be Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday morning they'll be here. Last service will be Sunday morning at 10. No end times class next week because of this, this going on. So we'll have the end times class um, uh, later on, we'll post, post all that. But uh, do he be here. You'll enjoy this, teaching us about things in prayer. The Word of God said, we just read it, be anxious for nothing, nothing but everything, but in how? But in, with prayer and thanksgiving? That's what we've got to do. So we're going to be learning about prayer this week. We'll see what these folks have to teach us about prayer, what God has given them for us. So come on out. That's Friday night at 7 o'clock. Saturday, 10 a.m. and 1 o'clock are the meetings. There'll be um, meals in between that. And then Sunday morning at 10 o'clock we'll be, be going on with that. Have a great rest of the day and bless some folks before you get out of here.